The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Our text this morning uh, is Luke 24. I apologize, uh, it's not correct in the bulletin. That would be because I, for some reason, wrote Luke 12, or typed Luke 12. But it's Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, or be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with him, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping, looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The word of the Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Rhonda and I um, enjoy listening to the repeat on Sunday afternoon of the radio program on NPR, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful little radio show. And one of the segments in the program is that they tell three stories, one of which is true, and then the contestant has to decide which of the stories is true. And the thing is that none of the stories sound believable. They all sound uh, utterly ridiculous. And uh, you've got to make, make out best you can. And then they have somebody uh, re- who has reported on the story, you know, demonstrate why it, it was actually, it's actually true. And you, and you know, um, the people out there... Uh, they hear what we talk about in here, and that's kind of what it's like. It just all sounds rather unbelievable. Uh, as um, the 11 said, it, it sounds a lot like an idle tale. And what used to be held fast to and what used to be believed and what people would give themselves to and 
They would, they, would, they would schedule their lives around the church because they knew the church was the place where the truth was given. Um, now, for many of those people out there, it's, it just sounds like foolishness. And it's, um, to them, nothing more than a waste of time. But uh, the evidence still demands a verdict. Of course, our nation was uh, waiting this week, and many people were on edge, waiting uh, in Minneapolis for the verdict of the uh, Derek Chauvin case. And whatever you may think about that, or whatever anybody thinks about that, evidence was presented, evidence required a verdict, and a verdict was given. The acclamation that Jesus is risen, he is risen indeed, has rung out this Easter season. And the evidence is presented for us in the word of God. And you have to decide if you really believe that or not. And the church has to decide whether or not they actually believe it. As we have been teaching it each Sunday, our focus has been on the work of restoration that the risen Christ began on that very first Easter morning. Of course, the church teaches and the church believes that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that the work of restoration will be completed. That what Christ began... Uh, Jesus indeed will finish, that all things will be united together in Jesus Christ. You see, it is through the death of Jesus by crucifixion that provided the forgiveness for our sins, and then it is through the power of his risen life that you and I are brought into new life. It is by his light that we see, and by his life that we live in the things that we see. This is the central truth of the Christian faith. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. But on that first Easter morning, what we find is that the message, He is risen, He is risen indeed, sounded like an idle tale. And my prayer uh, is that as we open God's Word together this morning and we read it, that the Spirit of God would make clear to us again this central truth, that we would believe it, that we would receive from it the blessing of restoration in our lives personally or in our church and certainly in this parish community because if we don't believe it in here, we can be of absolutely no help to them out there. The only hope that they have out there who drive by this church or wherever they might be and look at us and shake their heads and wonder what are they doing, the only hope that they have out there is that we hold fast to these central truths. Amen. That in here, we don't say, well, we're not doing a very good job of reaching out there. Maybe we need to change it up a little bit. No. This is the central reality in which we live and have our being. So let me maybe help us think 
into this phrase, idle tale. Um, it, it's a pejorative phrase aimed at the women who came from the tomb with the message that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. Uh, down south, uh, they, they would say that, that maybe uh, the, the woman was having a spell. That kind of, she got overheated, you know, and she needed to sit down and someone needed to fan her or bring her the smelling salts. She's kind of st- talking foolishness. Um, the response by the men was to not believe the witness of Jesus because what they thought the women were saying was foolishness. It was foolishness. You know, I don't think this needs to become a, a, a men versus women kind of thing, but it is important to note that uh, Luke names for us the women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and then there's other unnamed women that, that Luke doesn't identify. But then Luke does identify the men. They were the 11 uh, who, by the time Luke writes this, long after the fact, are understood to be the apostles, the foundation upon you know, which the church was in part built. And it brings up an important point for us to consider. Because in just a moment, we're going to read the words of Peter, who was in the room when the women gave their report. He thought the women were talking nonsense. And it reminded me, uh, in my own experience, especially growing up, um, that men, uh, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, would, would often mock and make fun of their moms or their older sisters or younger sisters or their wives who were going to church. And men began to drift further and further away, and they weren't just for the most part, drifting away politely, they, they would actually, you know, make fun of women who were going to church and believing. But now in the culture we live in, it's no longer just men who laugh at the idea of going to church. No longer uh, do we, we have that kind of base of the old older great-grandmother or grandmother who would be on her knees at night praying for her grandchildren or children to come to Jesus. No longer in large measure in our region do we have moms who are even uh, you know, at the risk of getting made fun of bringing their children to church. Now this message seems like an idle tale not just to, to men but to women as well. It is being neglected across the board. So we have to ask, well, what changed for Peter? Well, of course, he did see the risen Jesus, and he heard the risen Jesus speak. And by God's grace, Peter was restored. And after he was restored, he became a bold witness, right, for Jesus. But I want to make this clear. The testimony which the women gave concerning Jesus did not become valid because the men started to speak it. The message that the women gave concerning the testimony of Jesus was true because it was rooted in what Jesus himself had said. 
Look again at verses 6, 7, and 8. As the women are met by the angel, the angel calls them uh, to remember. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And what did they do? Verse number 8, what did they do? They remembered his words. You see, their witness was valid because they were speaking the words of the witness that Jesus himself had given. It was a true witness. And so evidence does demand a verdict. But for the church this morning, maybe in this room that in large measure believes this testimony... It should then lead us to shout out with praise to God as we see how the restoration of all things has begun to take shape even in the first few hours of Jesus walking out of the tomb. He is showing us how the kingdom of God is now going to be a place where full access is given to people who come by faith and trust themselves fully into Jesus. And I think one of the wonderful things that you can connect back uh, from this point all the way back to Genesis 3 is a reversal that is taking place. That dreadful uh, decision by Eve deceived in the garden who took the fruit, ate it, and gave it to her husband Adam. When Adam ate it, he plunged all of humanity into sin and judgment. But now what are the women giving to the men? No longer the fruit of death, but what? The fruit of life. They're going back in what is a wonderful picture of reversal. And the women are saying, we've seen him. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And they give to the men the message of life. This is the good news of restoration. That regardless of whatever deception you once lived in, whatever destructive thing you once lived in, that God in Christ has done what is necessary to reverse all of that. And the great thing is one day, it's not only going to be just people restored, but all of creation will be restored. In the new heavens and the new earth, when God reveals his kingdom in all of its fullness and the people of God are seen not to be a bunch of dupes following an idle tale, but actually people of faith who have believed what is true. And the transformation in their own lives will be complete and the work of full restoration will be complete. All things united in Jesus. This good news of restoration then becomes the central message of the apostles and the other followers of Jesus. And Luke spends uh, uh, his time writing the book of Acts and almost in its entirety, it is a repeating of Luke 24 in the sense that the central theme of Acts are now the witnesses who go forth and give this fundamental message of who Jesus is. They repeat over and over again as they are filled with the Spirit of God that what they are believing is no idle tale, but
but it is indeed the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Evidence demands a verdict. It demands a verdict. And what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to read together the testimony of those witnesses. And we're just, I've just taken selections. What Jesus himself said, and then in the book of Acts, what the witnesses said. And you have to ask yourself, do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true? Or are you a Christian because you happen to be in a Christian country? You might have been a Muslim or a Buddhist had you been born somewhere else. Or has this truth pierced your life in such a way that you believe it? And it transforms you. This is incredibly important, what we do right now. And I do borrow the title of the book by Josh McDowell, that evidence demands a verdict because there can be no sitting on the fence with Jesus. Either we are in with Jesus or we're not. So read with me. We're going to begin with Jesus himself. This is from Luke chapter number 24. Read with me. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, So it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now listen to the Apostle Peter, the one who did not at first believe, but now believes and boldly speaks this is from Acts chapter number 4. Read again with me. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Now Philip the evangelist with the Ethiopian who is reading from the scroll of Isaiah, read with me. Then the Spirit said to Philip, 
Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter and like a lamb that is silent for its shears, he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. We'll read again from the Apostle Peter as he is led by the Spirit to Cornelius the centurion who has gathered his household together to hear the witness of Peter. Peter says, We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he be revealed, not to all the people, but to witnesses who had been chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify of him that through his name, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And finally, from the Apostle Paul, standing in the court of Festus, giving witness to Agrippa and to those who are listening. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place as to whether the Christ was to suffer and whether as first from the resurrection of the dead he would proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. It is no small thing to ask you to stake your life on that. It is no small thing to say to you, that if you are going to truly be a Christian, you must build your life around those truths. Those truths must be central to your life. Evidence demands a verdict. What have you decided? Is it an idle tale? Or have you truly thrown your all in with Jesus? Jesus doesn't ask us to choose him like, He's some part of an a la carte menu and instead of, you know, mashed potatoes, you get boiled potatoes or baked potatoes, some such thing. He is Lord of all and he intends for you to come before him, bowing yourself 
and humble submission and obedience, repenting of your sins. In, in other words, if the truth of Jesus, as Jesus himself stated, is not true, then we are of all people to be pitied. But if it is true, and if that truth has not transformed your life, you really need to ask yourself if you are a Christian at all. Or again, are you just part of Christian things because you were born in a Christian country and maybe you knew Christian people? That's as far as it goes. And if we are Christians, then when will we start to order our lives around Jesus who is at the center of all of it? When we will he again make his day holy and not a convenience or an inconvenience? When will we again steward our lives towards Jesus at the center? When will we stop being afraid because now so many people do not believe this message? And begin with holy boldness led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, Speak it. So let me end by just asking two questions. First, if you are truly a Christian, what should you do about these things? What should you do about them? If you believe them to be true. But then if you are not a Christian, what should you do about this? You know, what, what might surprise you is the answer is actually similar <laughs> for both groups of people. Peter uh, gets us off on the right start in Luke 24, verse 12, when he rose and he ran to the tomb and he stooped in and he looked and he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he, he went home marveling. He at least made a, an effort. He took the initiative and he went towards it. Some of you just are stuck in cement and you need to pray for God to give you the courage to just step towards it, to walk towards it, and to once again believe that it is true. But then the passage we didn't read from the book of Acts that is perhaps the most familiar of all in chapter number two is when on the day of Pentecost they say, sirs, what must we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent. See, it's not just enough to kind of go and look in. You've got to actually repent of your sins. <laughs> you know, we actually have to take a look and say, well, you know, we've been missing the mark here. <laughs> well, that's good to know, but that's as far as it's going to go. No, we actually have to turn from our sins and be restored by God. And if you followed the thought through the rest of uh, Acts 2, you see, what did people who repented of their sins, received their baptism, what did they begin to do? Their lives were transformed. They were restored, and they began to restore the lives of others because they began to order their lives around what they now believed, and that is Jesus risen from the dead. They sold their possessions. They met daily in house to house. They ate their meals together. They loved one another. They didn't just like come together, get an hour, disperse, never see each other again. 
to the next week when they get together for the hour. We're Christians. Friends, the truth of a crucified, risen Savior whose name is Jesus is no idle tale. And I do pray for the Spirit to empower us. Empower us who do believe this message so that we learn once again how to faithfully proclaim it in both our words as well as our work and the way in which we have ordered our lives, our priorities, our love, so that people around us would see that it is not an idle tale. And who knows, you might have an Ethiopian eunuch come up to you someday and say, I've been reading the Bible, I don't understand what it means. And you can say, well, listen, I can help you with that. You might have some guy like Cornelius who says, hey, you know what, I, I've, I've got some people who are interested in Christian faith, I'm interested in it, could you come over to my house and do a Bible study with me? Or who knows, you might find yourself standing on a street corner someday just shouting out the message of the gospel to whoever listens. But if the restorative work of the resurrection is going to produce that kind of fruit, then let us once again live with it at the center of our lives. Because the evidence does demand a verdict. And how tragic a thing for us and for people out there without hope, lost. How tragic a thing it would be for us to walk out of here and not grapple with the deeper meaning of the resurrection of Jesus and its implications on us day by day. And how tragic a thing it would be to not know the restorative love of God that comes through a crucified, risen Savior. Amen. Let me pray. Father, uh, as we bow before you right now, I do pray um, that your Spirit would take this Word and shape us and form us around it. And as we give ourselves a few minutes to think about it, prepare ourselves for your table, I pray, O oh Lord, that we might be able to eat and drink in such a way that demonstrates all of the worth and value of what is found in the meaning of the bread and the cup. I'd encourage you to pray right now and prepare your hearts together, uh, and we'll take the table in just a few moments. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.